Hey everybody, it's Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, August 22nd, 2021. Welcome to The Way Ministry Live, The Way Radio Live. If you have any trouble hearing, please comment and I will try to uh, fix it. The title of today's message is The Power of His Word and it's based on John 16, 16 through 21. Before I get into the message today, I just wanted to uh, remind everybody to continue to pray for what's going on in Afghanistan. Uh, it's just been a horrific week, the things that are taking place there and the reports that we're getting of Christian suffering and everyone in general suffering. Um, it's just amazing. You know, when we think things couldn't get any more crazy or out of control uh, in the world and in America, things get a little more crazier and a little more out of control, which they have this last week. But um, uh, some of the things that I've received from people in ministry that either know people in Afghanistan or have worked in Afghanistan say that the plight of Christians there uh, is very bad and what they're suffering from uh, is horrific. Um, I may get into this more in the coming weeks, but I've had a lot of mixed feelings about this because uh, it's very clear from what I've learned and studied over the years is that, you know, for the last 20 years we've been in Afghanistan, uh, this is how it ends up. And really what we're seeing is the final result of what happens when wars are waged for profit. Um, you know, it doesn't take too much research to look at how much money has been generated over the last 20 years through this war in Afghanistan. And it's just amazing how many lives have been lost and how many people have suffered uh, to fill the pockets of the elites. But like I said, I'm not going to go too much down that road today, uh, but something's got to be done. Um, America is on a fast decline. And this is one of those episodes in our history where we just sped up that decline, it seems. Um, and now we're in a much more precarious position because of terrorist threats, uh, because of the way this was handled. But the main thing is, as Christians, we need to be praying for those that are there, especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ that have been left there and abandoned. And they are, uh, they've been left to the wolves and the wolves will be pounding on their doors. It's very sad. So just keep them in prayer. I wanted to preface today's message um, with Charles Spurgeon's devotional for today. Uh, every morning I, I read uh, Charles Spurgeon's devotion, if you can see that. It's called Morning and Evening. It's, it's very well known, uh, and it's just a great blessing to start and end your day with this devotional from Charles Spurgeon's writings and his sermons and devotions that he wrote during his ministry. But I wanted to start today's message with this one because it's so applicable to the message that we'll be hearing today. So Charles Spurgeon, devotional, August 22nd. It's based on the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 8, which says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if ye find my beloved that ye tell him that I am sick of love. And Spurgeon writes, Such is the language of the believer, panting after present fellowship with Jesus. He is sick for his Lord. Gracious souls are never perfectly at ease, 
except they are in a state of nearness to Christ. For when they are away from him, they lose their peace. The nearer to him, the nearer to the perfect calm of heaven. The nearer to him, the fuller the heart is, not only of peace, but of life and vigor and joy. For all these depend on constant intercourse with Jesus. What the sun is to the day, what the moon is to the night, what the dew is to the flower, such is Jesus Christ to us. What bread is to the hungry, clothing to the naked, the shadow of a great rock to the traveler in a weary land, such is Jesus Christ to us. And therefore, if we are not consciously one with him, little marvel if our spirit cries in the words of the song, I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him that I am sick of love. This earnest longing after Jesus has a blessing attending it. Blessed are they that do not hunger and thirst after righteousness, and therefore supremely blessed are they who thirst after the righteous one. Blessed is that hunger since it comes from God. If it may not have the full-blown blessedness of being filled, I would seek the same blessedness in its sweet bud pining in emptiness and eagerness till I am filled with Christ. If I may not feed on Jesus, I shall be next door to heaven to hunger and to thirst after him. There is a hallowedness about that hunger since it sparkles among the beatitudes of our Lord. But the blessing involves a promise. Such hungry ones shall, shall be filled with what they are desiring. If Christ thus causes us to long after himself, he will certainly satisfy those longings. And when he does come to us, as come he will, oh, how sweet it will be. I just love this devotional every morning. And like I said, this one just really tied in with the message today, because what we're going to learn is, in spite of the trials and the struggles and the storms that we may be going through, there is power in the word of Christ. And he will bring us through whatever it is that we're dealing with. So let's pray and we'll get into John 6, 16 through 21. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we're able to gather here on this Sunday afternoon uh, to learn of you, to learn of your word, and to strive to see you more clearly and to know you more fully. Lord, I just ask that each person that hears this message would be blessed, would be blessed by it and through it, that your word would go forth powerfully, and that most of all, you would be praised, honored, and glorified as we hear from you today. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so to begin, let's read, if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to John chapter 6, and let's read verses 16 through 21, which says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Anybody that's studied the Bible has probably become familiar with this story of Jesus walking on the water. But there's so much that we can learn from this, like so much about the word. The more we read it, the more we study it, the more there is to glean from it. But really what I want to look at today is just the strength that we can gain when we understand the power of the word of Jesus Christ. So let's begin by looking at verses 
uh, 16 through 21, which says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. So as we look at these verses, the first thing we notice is that it's the evening of the day after Jesus had fed the 5,000 miraculously. So his apostles and his disciples and his followers had that day witnessed one of the most profound, mind-blowing miracles in history with a few loaves and a few fish, enough to feed a couple people. Jesus fed 5,000 men plus the women and children. So it's speculated that this crowd could have actually have been, when you count the men, women and children, up to close to 20,000 people. So they had just witnessed this earlier that day. But now what they do is it says that uh, his disciples begin a journey across the sea to Capernaum. It was dark, and it's key in looking at the fact that Jesus had not yet come to them. So here we see that they are beginning a journey without the Lord. He's not with them in the boat. He's still behind on the land. And the other tellings of this event in, I believe, Matthew and Mark, uh, talk about Jesus had gone off alone to pray. So it was dark, and they were without Christ, who, as we know, is the only source of light. So I think what we see from this is they are, without the light, moving into the darkness as they go out to sea. And what we can learn from this is that the farther we get from the Lord, the greater that the storm may be or may seem. Because the storm, quite often, remains the same, but if we're by ourselves, it seems much more severe than if we are with Jesus Christ and we are abiding in him. In Christ, we have peace and calm. And away from Christ, the tempest grows darker and more extreme. So there's an application here that I think we should all very much pay attention to. Again, especially during these times in which we're living. During times of calm, we must be preparing for coming storms. The worst thing that anybody wants to do Christians included, is to assume that because times are good, things are just cruising along, I've got everything taken care of, I can just kick back, rest on my laurels, and not worry about the possibility of any storm coming. That's foolishness to live in such a way. That's why in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 through 6, Paul writes, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So what Paul's telling us there is it is common for those outside of Christ, those in the world, those in the darkness, to basically spend their lives as if they were asleep or in actually a state of drunkenness, where Christians are to be awake and sober. We are to be preparing for the times when our faith will be tested, for the times when forces of evil will be trying to take us off the narrow path, pull us away from that intimate walk that we're striving to have with Christ. So that is just part of the Christian life in good times, preparing for times of struggle and trial. I just got a message here. I want to make sure it's not somebody that can't hear. We're good. Sorry for that. So during times of calm, we must be preparing for coming storms. 
Now let's look at verse 19. When they had rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Wait a minute. One point I want to make here. They're out on their own, and it says the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. So they've gone away from Christ. They're out on the sea. It's dark. Now the wind kicks up, and the sea is becoming tumultuous. The sea is, the sea is becoming stormy, but Christ is not with them. And then in verse 19, it says, When they had rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. So they had fought and struggled for hours against the storm by their own power. If you've ever rowed a boat, three or four miles is a long distance to cover if you're rowing. So it says that in this storm, they had rowed about three or four miles, and then all of a sudden they see Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. So they'd fought and struggled for hours against the storm by their own power. So what we see here is a picture of how we struggle if we're not looking to Christ. We're trying to row through the storm, fight the winds that are overpowering us, and overcoming the waves that are trying to drown us. You see? Look at Mark 6.48 where it talks about this. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And then it says, in about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So these guys are in this storm, it's dark, and all of a sudden they see this figure coming to them on the sea. Now notice when Mark says it's the fourth watch of the night, that would be between 3 and 6 a.m. So if you figure they, they'd been with Christ during the day, he had fed the 5,000 or more. So I would speculate that maybe they had left to go out on the sea around, if it's going to get dark, 7 or 8 o'clock at night maybe. Not sure what time of the year it was. So they have been fighting against this storm for many, many hours. And now it's between 3 and 6 in the morning, and they see this figure approaching them on the water. That would freak anybody out. What is this? You see? But what we can learn from this is that they did not expect Christ to appear in the way that he appeared to them. See, they still thought he was back on the shore. Now, the, the idea I get is maybe they were trying to row back to the shore or to get to Christ. But the point I'm trying to make here is that in this circumstance, Christ comes to them. He's walking on the water, something that they couldn't comprehend because obviously they'd never seen anyone walking on water. But the main thing is that they didn't expect Christ to appear in the way he did. So for us, we might ask ourselves the question, how might our expectations and presuppositions about Christ be hindering us from seeing him? What might we be struggling with through our lives? What might what storm might, might we be trying to weather? What winds might we be trying to, you know, row against, thinking that we're by ourselves? because we're expecting Christ to act in a certain way that we think he needs to act or to appear in a way that we think he should appear because they would have never considered that he would come to help them by walking on the water. So just think about that. How are you affecting your walk with Christ because you're trying to assume or program Christ to do things in the way that you think he should be doing them. 
So how might our expectations and presuppositions about Christ be hindering us from seeing him? During these frightening times that we're living through, might we be so focused on his return that we miss what he is doing in our midst? I think this is a huge problem for a lot in the modern Christian church. Many are thinking, wow, it's, you know, uh, the whole COVID narrative is falling apart. It's being exposed as a fraud. So now they're doing everything they can to convince everybody that they've, they've got to take these vaccines that are proven to just be so horrifically dangerous. People are dying from them and becoming maimed and crippled from them. And now they're saying that they may mandate them. People are going to be losing their jobs if they don't accept these vaccines. And now we see all this going on where now there could be a great rise in terror because of the just the absolute fiasco that they've made of, of uh, Afghanistan. And so you hear many Christians claiming Christ's return has got to be soon. When is Christ going to return? This has got to be a sign of the end times. Christ is going to be returning soon. Now, let me say, we are to look forward to the return of Christ. But the point I'm trying to make here is, could we make the mistake of being so focused on Christ's return that we're not living in the moment and enjoying and praising him and seeing the blessings that we are given because of the work that he's doing in our lives right now. You see what I mean? What are we missing in this moment because we have projected our existence into a future moment? It's just something really interesting to consider, especially when you're going through times like this. You see? So I'm going to rephrase that. During these frightening times, why might we be so focused on Christ's return that we miss what he is doing in our midst? Because if you hear stories from people that lived through World War II and the Great Depression or World War I, obviously those were very horrific, frightening, and scary times. But there are so many stories that people tell that lived through those times, and they look back on those times joyfully because they were times of tremendous growth in the Lord. It's times where they say, that's when my, my walk with the Lord just blossomed. I saw so much fruit born in my life because of those times. I remember hearing a few years ago about uh, two uh, Christians that were imprisoned in North Korea and they were tortured horrifically. And they finally were able to escape somehow. I forgot how it happened. They made it to the West. And this one pastor was blown away because when they were being interviewed by this pastor, they said, you know, often we... Uh, we actually feel like we would like to go back and be back in the prison cell because we were so close to the Lord at that time. The Holy Spirit was right there with us in a way that only we can only have experienced through that circumstance. Think of that. So they were experiencing a blessing through such a trial that if they would only have been looking at the end of the trial instead of accepting where they were and using it for God's glory, they would have missed all of it. So don't let that happen as we go through the times that we're going through now. So it says they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Did this really happen? Is this an analogy? Is this a symbolic story? No, this was another one of the supernatural miracles of Jesus Christ. You got to remember Jesus made and he holds together the water that he was walking on. 
He created everything. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So I'm sure you could get into a scientific study of this, but because of Christ's power as the creator, he was able to do something with the water that enabled it to support him. Fascinating. So this is a true event that actually took place. Jesus was able to walk on water. Let's look at verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And this is the verse that's really the focus of today's message. He said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. So they're in the storm. They're exhausted. It's the, the darkest pit of the night. They're probably thinking that they're just going to drown at sea. And then they see someone walking on the water to them. They don't know who it is. Another telling of this story says that they thought it was a ghost. And then they hear this voice that they recognize say, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, do you ever ask yourself, quite often in Scripture, we see these two words, persevere and endure. We are to persevere and we are to endure. We are to persevere in the work that the Lord blesses us with and whatever ministry he places us in. Whatever trials we face to carry out the work that he's given us, we are to persevere in that work. And I can tell you from somebody that's been in ministry for quite a few years, perseverance is very important, especially in the day and age in which we live. Because you have to just overcome obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And you often feel that there's very few people helping you go over those obstacles, but the Lord is always with you. And endurance has to do more with the, the, uh, the persecutions and the trials and the attacks that you will suffer because you bear the name of Christ. But those who endure to the end will be saved and be with the Lord in his glory. So... I believe that remembering these types of tellings of these events in Christ's life from Scripture in which he says, it is I, do not be afraid. This is one of the keys to helping us persevere and endure when we understand the power of his word. His word changes everything. Nothing can stand against the power of Jesus's word. Look at Jeremiah 32:29 in Ephesians 6:17 is not my word like fire declares the Lord and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God so he's showing us that nothing can withstand the crushing power of God's word no evil can stand against it the gates of hell hell cannot stand against it and we have it we have a helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God protecting us and arming us as we go forward in the cause of the gospel. Because of his word, we can hear him say, fear not. This is just one example of us being told to not be fearful if we are in Jesus Christ. But I'm going to give you some more examples through scripture here. Look at Exodus 14, 13. This is after Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt. 
They'd escaped from the Egyptians. Now they're on the shore of the Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming up behind them, and the Israelites are now losing faith, grumbling, thinking, we're going to be destroyed, Moses. Why would you bring us here? We were better off being slaves in Egypt. Now we're trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea, and this is where we're going to be destroyed. But what did God tell Moses? Or Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. He was telling them that he was going to destroy them. They didn't know how yet. They just had to have faith in that. And Moses had to have faith on it in what he was told by God by himself until the Israelites saw the sea starting to part. That was an amazing faith to stand against the doubt and the grumbling and the complaining of millions. There were, I'm not sure how many were following. I forget the, the, the approximate number, but, but a massive number of people, he had to have faith to stand against that negativity until the sea parted. And then everyone said, okay, now we see what God's doing. And then they had faith. Think about that. Isaiah 35, 4 says, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The one I really liked in 35.4, as he says, uh, to those who have an anxious heart, that is like the state of most people in the world today. I know for sure here in America, because we have just been inundated for the last year and a half with so much misinformation, so much propaganda, just fear, 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 constantly being fed to people that they've created a sense of anxiety that just pervades society. As Christians, we should reject that and memorize these kinds of verses, understanding that they're not in control. God's in control. Isaiah 41, 13, for I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. I am the one who helps you. Daniel 10, 12, then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. Our prayers do not fall on deaf ears. The Lord is our intercessor. He is our mediator. He blesses our prayers and brings them before the throne, and they have power before God because we stand in the name of Jesus Christ. That is a lesson in prayer. Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He is not going to fail us. He is preparing a place for us, an eternal kingdom, and he will bring us into it so nothing can stop that plan or hinder it. Revelations 1, 17 through 18, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. I am God. Fear not. Nothing is more powerful than him or his word, and his word. Another thing we see here is that John shows us here the error of trying to see Jesus without his word. So isn't it interesting that they saw the figure coming towards them? They thought it was a ghost would not, did not even probably enter their minds that it was Christ. But what I want you to think about here is that by pre presenting a Jesus, by adding to God's word, 
by presenting a Jesus without the complete uncompromised gospel, by presenting a Jesus molded to fit the desires and requirements of man, much of the modern church has set up nothing more than a golden calf of idolatry. Now, what do I mean to that about that and how does that apply to what we're learning today? We need to see Jesus as he is. We need to drop who we, we think Jesus should be, what our desire for Jesus should be, and see who he is through his word by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has been so corrupted and the image of Jesus has been so manipulated and the message of Jesus has been so twisted for so many years that you have people that believe they are Christians who claim to be Christians who have no idea who the true Jesus really is. And it's a very, very sad condition. They didn't know who Jesus was until what? Until he said, it is I, do not be afraid. His word showed them it was him, and that's how it works still. That's how it will always work. The disciples saw what they thought was a ghost walking on the water, and they were afraid. And as soon as they heard the word of Jesus, it is not I, do not be afraid, they knew him for who he truly was. Seek to know Christ, and you can only know Christ through his word in Scripture. Don't let anybody strip that away from you, corrupt that, or try to twist that for their own taste. And it is so common in the modern church. That is why we can only preach the full counsel of God, all of the Bible, not leaving out anything, whether it's uncomfortable, spiritually incorrect, or offensive to sinners. Just preach the word without compromise. Christ comes to the lost through his word. Look at Romans 10, 17. Uh, I missed a verse there. Oh, there we go. There we go. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You cannot have faith unless you hear the word of Christ. That's the vehicle that the Holy Spirit uses to bring us to faith in Christ. He comforts his own through his word. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There is nothing in this world that we should be struggling with if we are taking our burdens to the Lord. To abide in Christ is to abide in his word. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You know, to go back to this point I said about these false Christs that have been uh, created and set up as idols on so many evil fronts. The place where I see this the most is because the, the mission that I'm involved in the most is the work that I do in Kenya. And I see so many of these guys that try to contact me from Kenya um, because they see that I do work there and they claim to be pastors. And all I have to do is spend a couple minutes looking at whatever they're posting on social media. And nine out, nine out of 10 of them are completely promoting false teachings. And then when you question them about what they believe, they have no understanding of the gospel. Am I picking on Kenyan pastors? No. The reason that they're lost like that is because we have allowed false teachings from the West to go out all over the world, and it is doing tremendous harm. So it is, that's one of the most driving forces behind the reason that I love to work there because I want to push back against the false teachings that are inundating the African continent and so many other places in the world. It is 
mind-blowing how many so-called pastors all over the world are following a Christ that never existed, have no understanding of the gospel, and are completely lost. It's, it's, it's just, it, it absolutely, I've never been able to get my mind around it. It's crazy. So I just wanted to make that point. John 6, 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, that could just be an exaggeration, but I don't think so. I believe this was a supernatural act of supernatural travel that we've read about elsewhere in Scripture. If you look at Acts 8, 38 through 40, it says, And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I believe the Spirit took Philip and supernaturally transferred him to a different place geographically instantly and that very well could have been what happened here immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going now am i speculating a bit yeah but i think that's probably what happened if it wasn't it's not the hugest mistake in the world so often we need we think we need to work this is the lesson i want you guys to really get out of this today so often we think we need to work through the storm to get to the shore where we think jesus is because that's where we've conceptualized he should be. But Jesus delivers us from the midst of the wind and stormy turmoil. Again, be in the moment. See what Christ is doing now. Don't worry about the future. Don't be drugged back into the past. I was just talking to somebody the other day about this. One of Satan's best tools is to keep people out of the moment because when we're in the moment, that's where we worship the Lord. That's when we serve the Lord. That's when we can meditate on him. So Satan will take you into the past through regret, remorse, guilt, or he'll take you into the future through anxiety, worry, and fear of what could happen. God wants us in the moment. Experience him in the moment. And I believe Satan can also get Christians so focused on the return of Christ that we're ignoring our walk with Christ. And right now is such an amazing time to be alive for Christians because there are so many opportunities to help open people's eyes who are trapped in darkness because people, the world is failing people on every front. And Christianity will shine brighter and brighter through these times. But Jesus delivers us from the midst of the wind and stormy turmoil. Another couple points. The Lord does not help those who help themselves. He helps those who know they cannot help themselves, who have no strength left, and humbly look to him. It's like Daniel, and that portion I read earlier, when he was praying, he was at his wit's end. He didn't know what was going to happen to him and his people. But he still faithfully prayed and looked to the Lord, and his prayer was answered. Another thing we often hear, people actually, I've heard people say they think this is in the Bible. God will never give you more than you can handle. Somebody's going through a trial. Their life is just through a, a time of just one problem after another. And some friend or family member will say, you know what? God never will give you more than you can handle. Folks, that isn't in Scripture. What is in Scripture is the fact that God will give you more than you can handle. 
God will put more on your shoulders than you can carry. God will give you more responsibility than you can comprehend. And then he will give you the power and the grace and the strength to carry out what he's placed you in, to carry through what he's placed you in, to complete the work that he's put on your plate, to get through the trial that you're struggling through. Why is that? Because on the other side of it, you look back and think, wow, that was so far beyond me. But God did it. He's glorified through it. You see? He's glorified and honored through this. Praise the Lord for that. So what we see here is the disciples had to endure a tremendous and frightening struggle, which the Lord allowed them to experience. The Lord may allow us to experience such dangers so that we see him more clearly in our deliverance through it. The lesson of this today is that the fact that the lesson was in the storm and the struggle. It's The lesson wasn't when they finally made it to shore. The lesson was what they experienced because of going through the darkness and the storm and the struggle they had to go through and what they learned of Christ through it. You see? Mark 6.51 says, and he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. So that could mean that when we're in the midst of that storm, we think there's, you know, it's going to kill us. The Lord comes to us. He puts an end to the storm and we have that calm. It may also mean that he comes to us. The storm continues, but we are calm in the midst of it because we are in Christ. So different situations will have different remedies depending on the work that the Lord's doing through it. That's how we have to look at it. Folks, pray that you can just grasp the power, the encouragement, the assurance, and the strength of God's word because it will bring you through whatever you have to struggle through. Then I'll close with Isaiah 43.2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word today. Uh, just ask that you would strengthen and bless each one of us through it, that you would do a mighty work in each one of our lives. And Lord, I just ask that in this coming week that we would have opportunities to share the gospel. Uh, for those of us that are going through struggles or trials, uh, or dealing with pressures, that you would give us strength beyond our ability and you would be glorified through it. That you would bring those who are, who are suffering through impossible circumstances, through those circumstances, to your glory and your praise and your honor. Uh, that in spite of all the evil and the darkness that is happening in this world and uh, the forces of evil that are just so blatantly trying to destroy so many people, that your gospel would shine brighter that your people would shine brighter and that we would be an awesome force for you in the midst of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you for listening again today, folks. If you can, please consider visiting elephantwalk.net. That is our sponsor site and business caring in, in every step reflected in the quality of our products and the efforts to combat poverty and support wildlife conservation that our sales help support. If you type the way all lowercase at checkout, you receive 10% off and proceeds help support the way 
R122 ministry and the work that we are doing both in Kenya and here in America. So please consider visiting elephantwalk.net. You can find us on the web at the way, the letter r122.org. You can subscribe to the podcast at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Just search for The Way Radio in the search field. We're nearing 12,000 downloads, uh, so the, the, the podcast continues to grow, and I just praise the Lord for that. Uh, you can find us on YouTube. Uh, they're still letting us continue to publish. We'll see how long that goes on at the Way Ministry Church. You can find us on Rumble. That's where eventually all the videos will end up. It's just a very time-consuming process, and I don't have a lot of time to do it right now. Just go to Rumble and search for the Way R122. Uh, please consider supporting the ministry. We need help so much right now. Um, I'm very much feeling the itch to get back to Kenya as soon as possible. Uh, we're very excited about helping Pastor Patrick better establish the two schools that he runs there for children and to establish the Bible church, Bible school at his church location in Nairobi. And you can donate at the way, the letter r122.org. All right, have a great week. And I will be back here same time, same place next week. God bless you guys. Bye-bye.